In a moment, we're going to uh, place the two Torahs here on the bima and invite you to stay in if you are saying Yizker. Invite you to stay in if you're not. Um, there is a custom in this community of staying in even if you don't have, uh, if you haven't lost someone. Whatever is your custom. I was in Israel this, this past summer And I was sitting with a, a great lecturer, a great teacher. It's a woman who's a very accomplished academic of Jewish mysticism. She's world-renowned for her, her expertise in the Zohar, which, which is the most beautiful, the most ornate, the most opaque. One of the most, if not the most, of all Jewish mystical texts. And she was sitting in class with us, and, um, and she began the class by, by sharing this. She said, today is the last day of my son's army service. And she said, I've been watching the clock, waiting for the phone call for him to call and say I made it. And she said that just before the class started, she got the call, that he was home safe. And then she said this, and I'll never forget this. She said, there were muscles in my body that were holding since he went to the army that I didn't even know that I was holding. And when I got that call, my body released, she said, in a way that I couldn't even believe it. That I was holding, for, for three years, I was holding places in my body. And I can't get that out of my head. I can't get out of my head this, this sentiment that there are places that we have been holding for years. And I wonder what phone call it would take. What would we need to hear for us to finally release that, you know? Forgiveness, mechila, such a powerful word. There are many words in Hebrew for forgiveness. But the one that I love is michila, and I'll tell you why. Because it also has another meaning. Michila also means dance. You get that? Michila is the process where I can begin to dance again with something in my life that I have refused to dance with. That's what michila is. Forgiving so that I can now open up my, my place where I want to give again. I was walking with somebody a couple of weeks ago. Someone in our community who was quite sick. And we were walking together and and I can't get this other image out of my head of him walking around with a chemo pack. And I asked him, so What's going on there? You know, I, I want to know. I, I want to know what you're experiencing, what your day's like. He said, well, I get this pack, and then it gives me one drip every, every minute. I get one drip. That's as much as I can handle. That's as much as you can take. Now, I know that that poison is life-giving for him. But I went home, and I thought again about that image 
Where are there places in my body that I can't release, places in my heart that I can't let go of? And where are the poisons that once in my life, at some point, might have been life-giving, but that I'm carrying around drip by drip? It's funny because as a rabbi, I work all the time with spirit, and so I can talk the game, you know. And then this week, I was with a dear friend, and, um, and she was in a very bad place, and she, she started a fight with me. And it was a very painful and awkward moment because I had nothing. I was completely open to her, but she was picking a fight. And when she, she left, she left where we were, we were and, um, and then I was left to think about why it was that she was, what was it that she was trying to say? And everything in my heart was saying, forgive, 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 and everything else in my heart was saying, on your life. <laughs> Start up with me. In front of my children. And I was struggling with it, you know, for two hours. And then I got a knock on the door. I thought it was our next door neighbor. And it was my friend. And she completely caught me by surprise. Because I was having this thing in my head. And there she was. And she wanted to, to give me an opportunity to forgive her. She wanted to, to untangle what had become tangled between us. There's a, there's a scholar of conflict who, who asked a group of people in Mexico, what's their word for, for conflict? And their word was the word for the same word that is used for an entangled net of the fishermen. And that in their village, when there is conflict, they essentially see the conflict no different than the entanglement of a fisherman's net having gone out to fish. And that their advice is that just as fishermen, when they come back from fishing, in order to be able to go out and nourish themselves again, they need space to pull the net apart so that the tangles can become untangled. They don't dare cut, because if they cut the net, they can't catch fish. They can't catch fish if they cut the net. So what happens if there's a knot that they can't be untangled? So they untangle it, they cut it, and then they reweave it. And that all conflict is my standing in front of you and saying, it looks like we've become tangled. Might we take some space and untangle? so that we can fish together again. That's what Yizkor is all about. We would be silly if we were to think that just because someone has left this world that we are no longer entangled with them, right? For some of us, it's quite the opposite. That in Yizkor and in remembering, there is the cry of missing 
the yearning to touch again, to hug again, to caress again, to speak again, to listen again. There's also the cry of what might have been, if onlys. We can't now make it good. There was a story that Mark Nepo in his book, Finding Inner Courage, brought, and I'd like to share it with you as my intention for walking into Youth Corps and for that matter for the rest of today. The story is about a Vietnam veteran named Richard Luttrell, a gentle soul from the Midwest who 39 years ago found himself as a young man in the jungles of Southeast Asia. Very quickly, he fell into hand-to-hand -hand combat with another young man. They didn't speak the same language, though they faced the same terror. That day, that fateful day, Richard wound up killing his counterpart. It was the first time that he had taken anyone's life. And as his fellow soldiers were looting the body, Richard came close to see what it was that he had been so afraid of. And right there on the soldier's chest, halfway visible and half concealed was a small picture of a little girl. He pulled the photograph from the dead man's wallet. It was of this little girl and he remembers holding the photo and actually squatting and getting close and actually looking into the face of the dead soldier and then looking at the photo and then looking in his face again, back and forth, back and forth. The quiet American soldier kept that photo. And through the years, it called him. It claimed him. It plagued him. He could hear a faint echo of a small village somewhere in Vietnam where there was a small girl growing up fatherless. He became obsessed with that photo. And as it kept in his person the memory and the humanity of the man he had killed, it also ate away at his heart and finally it depressed him. He tried to get rid of it. When the Vietnam Memorial was built, he made a, a pilgrimage to the Vietnam Memorial and he, laced, he, he lay the, the small photo at the Vietnam Memorial. And the picture had a life of its own. It was gathered into a book called The Offerings from the Wall, picked up by an archivist who couldn't get over the picture of this small, teeny child laid at the foot of the Vietnam Memorial. And from that book, Offerings from the Wall, and through a fellow veteran, it made its way back to Richard Luttrell. So the improbable journey continued and Richard found that little girl in a snapshot because the pictures of that book made their way into a Vietnam newspaper and that that newspaper was seen by three people who knew the girl and finally they found the girl. Her name was Long Chong Ngoan 
And she was the daughter of the man who had been killed so many years ago. And so Richard, who was compelled by a yearning to give this photo back, took his wife and flew to Vietnam, where he gave the small photo to this 40-year-old woman who had no picture of her father. Richard approached her. They got out of the car. He didn't know what to expect. She started walking towards him. He started walking towards her. And through an interpreter, he said to her, I want to tell you that I am the man who took this photo from your father's wallet on the day that I shot and killed him and that I am returning it to you today. With a cracking voice, he then asked her for forgiveness. And after an awkward moment, Lan, the little girl in that little photo, burst into tears and fell into his arms. And there, the two held each other up against our century, sobbing and embracing. We have so much to learn from these two this morning. We have so much to learn from my teacher in Jerusalem, who made us aware that she, this enlightened woman of Kabbalah, was holding on until it was all safe for her to let go. And something to learn from our fellow congregant, our friend, who I know would tell each and every one of us here today that if it is that you are carrying poison around that once in your life gave you life, there's no time like today to drop the poison. Forgiveness is the act of giving back those things that must be given back so that we can give forward. It is what Yom Kippur is all about. It is what every relationship yearns for. It is what every entangled net needs in order to go fishing again. I bless you, each and every one of you, that you find the words and the thoughts, the meditations that are necessary in order to heal. As I ask you to stay for Yizkor. <laughs>